So stand with me if you would as we open up to 1 John, the epistle of 1 John. We're going to focus on two verses this morning. And there are probably no two other verses as powerfully uh, written which impress on us the ministry of Jesus Christ than the two we're getting ready to read. And so I think it was very fitting. Uh, the songs that we sang this morning, it all kind of tied in. Very fitting. Let me tell you about my Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. About Jesus. There's nothing else worth talking about. Nothing. So look with me, if you would, verses 1 and 2 of 1 John chapter 2. My little children. These things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now just, just, just stop for a second, okay? Focus on what we're reading. Let it hit you in the heart for a second, okay? Let's, let's look at that once more. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Thank you. You may be seated. Again, no two other verses are probably... Uh, as profound when it comes to this topic. Uh, no two other verses so powerfully impress on us the ministry of Jesus Christ as the two that we have before us today. H have you ever found yourself, I want, I want to ask uh, this to kind of start us off, uh, to, to introduce the situation here. Have you ever found yourself in a sin and wondered, what now? Or, or perhaps you, you messed up so badly that you could not see a way of recovery. Um, you had offended someone uh, so much that you didn't see how you would ever be able uh, to live that down. Or, or perhaps uh, you even wondered to yourself how anyone would ever be able to forgive you for what you've just done. You ever been there? I've been there. Sadly, it's been often that I've been there. It's not just a one and done. I'm, I'm one of those that it takes me several tries uh, to figure things out, sadly. Uh, I've been there many times. Or, or, or maybe it wasn't you. Maybe you've not been there. But maybe someone in your life has messed up so badly that you wondered uh, how in the world they could ever be used by God again or be useful again. I, I've examined that in my own life. And I, I've, I, I'll be honest with you. I, you, know, you all may be more righteous and holy than I am, but I have wondered... I've seen people and I've seen falls. Maybe some of you can look back and you remember uh, the, the, uh, the days of Jimmy Swaggart and, uh, you know, his fall. And you're looking at it going, God could never use someone like that again. Or is there any way that they could ever climb out of this pit? Maybe when, uh, when uh, the news came out uh, about uh, uh, an, a pastor that you knew of or uh, uh, an evangelist that you knew of, and maybe you wondered to yourself, my goodness, they were guilty of that. There's nothing. Uh, they're, they're just not reconcilable. I don't know if you've ever been there. I, I know I have. 
You know, we hear of scandals in churches across the country and wonder how God could ever use that person or that church again. I've had people tell me before, I'll never be able to forgive this person for what they've done to me. But then I've even had the other side, the flip side of that. I've had others who have asked, do you think I could ever be forgiven? Well, well does, does God still want me? I remember growing up in a, in a Christian home, and I remember uh, even as a, as a young man, as a teenager, I remember uh, having uh, the, the Lord impress heavily on my heart that, that it, you're going to be in the ministry. I had other people telling me, God wants to use you in the ministry. And, and I would think to myself, no way, uh-uh, I do good enough to just remember to read my Bible every day. There's no way I can pastor. And I went running full bore. And I left God in the, in, in the background. I just kind of turned my back on the things of God and the things that I knew I was supposed to be doing, the things that I knew was right. I started living for myself. I started doing whatever I wanted to do, going wherever I wanted to go. And, and I even relocated some three hours or so away from my family. And I found a church home when I relocated just so when mom and dad were in town, they would know I had a church home to take them to. And, and I could put on the, the, the facade and pretend and I remember in my deepest, uh, deepest valley that I had ever been in, I remember coming home one day and just collapsing in my apartment. I mean, I was, I was a wreck. And I remember thinking and, and even praying out loud, God, I don't know if you still want me or not. But here I am. And whether you want me or not, I'm yours. I don't know if you still want to use me don't know if you even can, but here I am. Beloved, I want you to understand something. If you've ever been there, maybe you're there now. Maybe you're thinking of something in the back of your mind right now that, uh, that there's, there's something taking place or something in your life, and you're just in the back of your mind thinking there's no way out of this. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. And you maybe, th maybe you think to yourself, well, it's one thing for someone who doesn't know better and, you know, they've never, they've never known Christ and then they get saved and then, you know, things change for them. But I, I, I've been saved for a long time and, and I, I think I've really made the Heavenly Father mad at me. Just stop for a second. You see, there's two powerful verses that are given to us here. Two powerful verses, and we want to look at them very closely. But just by way of reminder, before we dig into this, John is writing this letter in the hopes of combating the issues um, uh, of, of Gnosticism. Now, we talked about Gnosticism in one of the previous messages as we've been moving through 1 John. Um, uh, but we have a modern-day Gnosticism as well. We, we sometimes think, and I've got to grab my button, my clicker here, otherwise we're going to be in problems. Um, sometimes we think of Gnosticism only in the early days of the church, in the early days of church history. Uh, but we have Gnosticism in modern day examples of this for, uh, as well. For, uh, from the Jehovah's Witness to the Legalist, uh, there are many forms of Gnostic ideas propagated in churches today. And John wanted to make sure that we had this right and we understood. Some of these false teachings or ideas such as, in order to be saved, you must speak in tongues. Beloved, that's not biblical. That's not true. Paul even said it this way, I would rather no one speak in tongues. 
And so now I'm not, I, I'm, we're not going to get into that. That's another message for another day, but that's a Gnostic idea. The whole idea of Gnostic means we know something you don't know. And so there are people and there are churches that would look and say, say we understand this, you don't understand it. Uh, another one is your sanctification being a second part of your salvation, which leads to a sinless life. Uh, that, that's, that's not biblical. You're, you're going to struggle with sin the rest of your life. And we won't be sinless on this side of heaven. Uh, another uh, idea is that a person can sin and lose their salvation. That's not biblical. It's not biblical. And we're going to get into some of this stuff as we continue to move on. Uh, some Gnostic ideas, uh, there are some that believe that only a certain style of dress is considered Christian. If you don't dress a certain way, you must not be a Christian. There's nothing like that in Scripture. There's nothing like that in there. Or, you know, Lord forbid, if you, um, uh, if you have a certain type of style that you like over another one, then, then there's, there's only one true style that is considered holy. Beloved, that's not true. Jesus said it this way because here's, here's the thing, and, and, and think about the woman at the well back in John chapter 4. If you think about it for just a minute, she said... Uh, you all say we need to worship in that place. We hear that we're supposed to worship over there. Where are you supposed to worship? Modern day idea is uh, you all in your church think that you are the only ones that have the truth. And this church over here says that they're the only ones that have the truth. Beloved, it doesn't matter what the label on the building is. Jesus says now is the time for men to worship me in spirit and in truth. Quit focusing on the externals. Quit worrying about the things that everybody else is worried about. Who cares if some? And, and, and it's the stupidest stuff in the world. My church will never use drums, but we'll sing Little Drummer Boy at Christmas time. We've got to focus on Him. Focus on Christ. You know, I've, I've mentioned it before, but you know, there, there are songs that I mean, I wouldn't give you a plug nickel for, but then there are some that reach into your soul. And the ones that do that the most are not the ones singing about the golden streets. They're the ones singing about the King of Kings. We've got to get ourselves to the place where we quit focusing on the, the ideas that we have. Uh, usually these ideas such as, uh, uh, such as this, the, the whole Gnostic uh, you know, way of thinking, they're typically, uh, they typically are accompanied uh, by a statement, something along the lines of, well, you know, I used to think the way you do, but the Holy Spirit showed me. I can take you to people who used to think it was okay for women to wear pants. The Holy Spirit showed them that it wasn't okay, but then they came back out of that. When did the Holy Spirit really talk to them? And so let's stop worrying about the externals. Let's stop trying to label things. And then we, we, we drive down the street and we go, well, they do things differently than we do. They must not be a real church. Whoa. Back the piety train up. It's time for us to just focus in on the true 
way of worship and the true, uh, the true message and the true gospel. This is what Paul was talking, or I mean, what John was talking about when he introduced this idea in verse five of chapter number one. This then is the message. The message is not who to vote for. The message is not whether Disney is wrong and anybody that takes their children to Disney is sinning. The message is not which movie you're allowed to watch and which movie you're not allowed to watch. I mean, my goodness, think about it. For years, it was nobody who's a Christian can go to the movies. But it didn't matter what they watched at home. Look, you go into a movie theater, you've got like, what, 10, 12 options? You turn on Hulu. There's some stuff out there that I'd much rather see you go into the movie theater than watch that garbage. See, we, we, we say it's a sin to walk into the theater. But then you can have internet at home. Do you see where we, we focus on so many things that we lose sight on the one we need to keep our focus on? So many in churches today devote so much time. Brother Roger and I, we were, we were out this week, and he, uh, we were talking about this very thing. You know, you have uh, people pointing at preachers preaching against Let's preach against this. Let's preach against that. And if you, if you vote this way or if you go to this place or if you do these kind of things and you do those kind of things, you're not a Christian. Let's stop pointing at all the don'ts and let's start pointing at the one who loves. If I'm so wrapped up in this hobby horse or this, uh, this little soapbox over here, I, I quit preaching about Jesus. John says, here's the message. The message is Jesus. The message is what he has done for you. The message is what he can do for you. The message is what he continues to do for you. Let's look at uh, a few things here. First, notice what he says in verse number two. He says, my little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. Now, first, in, in, in 1 John chapter 1, he talked about uh, why he is, is writing. He says in verse 4, And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. He says it a little bit earlier, uh, what, why they are declaring things. In verse 3, he says that you may have fellowship. So fellowship, joy. Well, here is another reason that John is writing. He says in verse number 1 of chapter 2, I'm writing these things so that you won't sin. But here's the issue. <laughs> if you remember from chapter 1, he reminds us, we sin. And there's not a one of you that can say you don't sin. He said, hey, look what he said in verse number 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. In verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. This is in the, in the present tense. This is not in the past tense. This is in the present tense. If we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves. But then he says in verse number one of chapter two, my little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And so understanding, John makes it very clear that we struggle with sin. He makes it very clear. Uh, Today we're going to look closely 
at one of these issues that the believers face, and the believers faced in John's day, but we still wrestle with this problem today, the problem of whether or not a true Christian can get caught in sin, and if so, what can be done? Maybe you've heard people say it like this. Well, uh, some people will teach that if a Christian sins and, 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 and he backslides, he's no longer saved. But then there are others that say if he, is, if he has sinned and backslides, he never was saved. Now, there's two pendulum swings. All the way over here, all the way over there. Now, I won't disagree that the person who is left in sin, caught in sin, stays in sin, has no, has no desire to repent. He has no evidence of true salvation. There's no evidence of it in his life. Because if he truly was born again and indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, he would have a hunger and a desire and feel remorse for what he has done and desire to come back and repent and say, Lord, forgive me for dragging your Holy Spirit that dwells in me through that process. If there is none of that, the individual may very well not be saved. But that's not to say that someone who is born again by the Spirit of God won't sin. It's not what the apostle's saying. He let us know in chapter 1, we're going to dig into this more as we continue in our study in the book of John. But he makes it very, very, very clear that this is false piety it's prideful and it's arrogant in nature to try to say that well you know someone who is born again doesn't sin you know i am i'm born again i have been sanctified and i no longer struggle the way you struggle yeah right tell it to somebody who believes it because i don't pride arrogance fuels this type of a thing this is not to say that after the person gets saved uh, after they get saved um, they begin to maybe fix or or work through and, and and try to overcome sins because that's what we are to do but before I am going to worry about what kind of outfit a person wears, what kind of music they want to sing, what kind of uh, Bible they carry, or what kind of uh, clothing that they, or whatever it is. I want to ensure that the heart is right. I don't know about you, but man, sometimes people make the Christian life look like a bunch of rules and regulations. Who wants a life like that? That's all false religion does. Every other religious system in the world is about pulling yourself out of the muck and the mire by your own moral bootstraps. Here's what you can do. Here's what you need to do. Here's what you have to do. Jesus is the only one that lets you know, dude, you're hopeless. <laughs> if it's up to you, it ain't going to work out. Jesus is the only one that provides the atonement. It's a beautiful thing. And here we have the, uh, the Apostle John putting it out there for us so clearly. He, John combats the idea of works-based salvation 
while at the same time confronting the idea of living however you want to live. Because there's again that pendulum swing. People say, well, I have to earn God's love. No, you don't have to earn God's love. He gives you love, so it doesn't matter how much sin you've done. doesn't matter what you do. God forgives you, so I can do whatever I want to do. Eh, wrong, stop. Look, my wife loves me and has forgiven me for a lot of stupid. A lot of stupid. I'm here to take Greg jokes and he says, pray for your, for your pastor's wife. She has to, no, I'm telling you, no harder job in the world, you know, no harder job in the world than a pastor's wife. She has to put up with this hypocrite. You pray for my wife. She has forgiven me for many things in my life. Does that mean I can just keep doing it because she'll keep forgiving me? No. If I truly love her, I'll try to not do it again. I'll try to overcome it. Those of us who understand what it means to be loved need to know how to love in return. Many believers try to live a holy life by the rules, and they call it standards, maybe. Their heart is not truly God's, though. Well, we do this and we don't do this because if we do this and if we do that, God's going to be displeased. You see, it's all a matter of which side of the coin you're looking at. Is it I'm abstaining from this because God won't be pleased? Or because of who God is, I'm choosing to abstain from that. You see, there's a difference if I'm only doing it because God says don't do it, well, then I'm not loving him with all my heart, all my soul, with all my mind and all my strength. I'm only doing it so that I don't get in trouble. And if that's my lifestyle to where I'm going to follow the rules, it's kind of like the little boy who was sitting in the, in the classroom, and, and we'll, we'll name him Andy. And he's sitting in the Sunday school classroom, and the teacher's, uh, tired of him fidgeting and kind of moving around and he doesn't want to sit still and the teacher tells us god are we getting ready okay i wasn't sure if he was getting ready to speak or not but, you know we're, we're sitting the teacher says sit still don't move or i'm putting you in the corner and so he sits there and the teacher comes over and says you're actually doing okay now says, yes but in my mind i'm running in circles I'm doing on the outside, but up here, there's a lot of people. Well, I won't drink that. I won't go there. I won't eat that. I won't say that. I won't do those things because I'm a Christian. I'm not allowed to. It's a whole different world when we understand the love of God. And I choose to do that. Choose to not do that. Choose to be that. Choose to not be that way because of my love for him then it's actually loving him with my heart until then it's false piety so let's look at a few things quickly this morning and then uh, we'll make our prayer here in just a moment first let's look at the problem john presented in the previous verses of chapter one an understanding that no one 
uh, is without sin. Not a single one of us is lacking in the sin department in the area that needs a savior. And none of us are lacking in the sin department that needs a continued keeper. Understand that. I think we're all okay to say, you know, I need a savior because I, I have sinned. Beloved, I need continual saving because I continue to sin. And there's not one of us that's exempt from that. Now, realize what I mean by this. I'm not saying you get saved and then you get saved again and you get saved again. No, there's three different parts of our salvation. Justification, I am saved from the penalty of my sin. I am made right with God now because of what Christ did. But the second part of that is sanctification. I am being saved daily from the power of sin. Saved from the penalty, past tense, done. When I got saved... When I accepted Christ as my personal Savior, when I was born again by the Spirit of God, I was saved from the penalty. That's justification. Done deal. Sanctification is something that takes place. It's, it's a progress through the rest of my days. I am continually being saved from the power of sin. I don't struggle with all the things that I used to struggle with. Today, I'm stronger. The next day, I'm stronger. The day after that, I'm stronger because God is sanctifying me, making me and molding me more and more into the, uh, into the image of His dear Son. And then one day, I'm going to experience glorification when I am saved from even the presence of sin. I'm looking forward to that day, aren't you? The day when we shuffle off this mortal coil and we will be like Him. We'll be able to live the way we were meant to live. Glorified. If, if one were not reading carefully here, it would sound as though John expects us to live sinless lives. Look what he says here in verse number one. My little children, these things write unto you that ye sin not. But that's not what he's saying. However, he does want us to live sinless lives. He's not saying if you don't live a sinless life, you're not going to be saved. But he is saying to live a sinless life. And it's not a far stretch from what Jesus taught. You know, think of the, uh, the man at the pool of Bethesda. What does Jesus tell him after he heals him? He says, go and sin no more. What about the woman taken in adultery in John chapter 8? And he's writing on the ground and then you know, everybody's gone. And he looks up and he goes, ah, where are your accusers? And she says, they're gone. And he says, neither do I accuse you. What does he say? Go and sin no more. Well, God doesn't expect me to be perfect. Then why does he say, go and sin no more? Why does God say, be ye holy, for I am holy? Why does Peter remind us that we are called to be holy as our Father in heaven is holy if we are not expected to try to live a sinless life? You see, we need to understand this. We need to get back to what it is that the, tr the true message is teaching us. The problem here at the very core of everything is that none of us are without sin. None of us become sinless this side of heaven, but God expects us to pursue sinless, sinlessness. So now what? You see, Christianity is an ethical belief. It's an ethical belief system, but man at his core is an ethical failure. You know Here's what it really boils down to. I see the demands of God. 
I accept and accept that they are right. I admit them into my life, but I fail in keeping that which he expects me to keep. So what am I going to do? What, how, how, can I, how can I wrestle with this? I'm glad you asked. It says in verse number one, the second half says, And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. <laughs> Jesus Christ the righteous. Understand what that means. Advocate. Advocate. You know what an advocate does? Speaks on behalf of another. I'm not sinless yet. And the, the Father in heaven is still pure. He is still holy. Just because He offered me salvation, just because he, I've experienced grace, just because I have experienced the mercy of God, does not mean He stopped being perfect and He stopped being holy. And when I have this walk and I have this relationship with God, and then Monday comes and I mess it all up, Jesus is going, Dad, I paid for that one too. That's our advocate. The Greek word for advocate is the, is the word that we get for paraclete. Parakleto, uh, uh, it, it's a Greek word. That, it's a wonderful word, rich with meaning. It can mean to comfort, as in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. But in addition to that, the most common use of the word is, is when you see the word with para on it, it means alongside or beside of. For example, the, name, the word parable is parabole. Now, if you've ever heard, you know, maybe you know of uh, you know, a bolo, you know, the little thing, not just a tie. That's one version of it. But it's the rope with the rocks on the ends of it, and people would throw it, and it would wrap around somebody's legs, you know, bolo. It was to throw. That's what the name is, bolo. Para, alongside of. A parable is a story, just, you know, you see something, oh, yeah, here, let me throw a story just alongside what I'm looking at. So para means to come alongside. And so this paraclete, to come alongside for support or help or aid. And so in reference to this, it typically means to call someone alongside of them to help or counsel. And some have even translated this as counselor, but I'm afraid it doesn't fully capture the idea. It, it, there, there's basically an understanding with this that if a man, uh, if a man tries, to, uh, uh, tries to advocate on himself, he has no defense. But someone can come alongside and advocate on his behalf and, and plead his case. And this is what Jesus does. But the, the beautiful part of this is it's not just someone coming alongside and pleading your case. But in addition to that, it says that in verse number 2, it says, And he is the propitiation for our sins. So if someone comes alongside of us and says, Wait a minute, judge, they're innocent. The judge wants to know, give me one good reason why. Well, Jesus says, because I paid for it. It's not just he is innocent now, not just he is righteous now, but he is righteous because of me. So not only is he our advocate, he's our atonement, our propitiation. The Greek word here, hilasmos, is a little more difficult, but I'm going to give it to you in, in three different ways before we come to our concluding thoughts here. 
First, this word can mean regarding man. It can mean to pacify or to offer to someone uh, who has been offended. And so this is the one who offers something uh, in an attempt to repair damage that was done. So I messed up. I'm going to come and make an offering to you in the hopes that we can patch things up. The second way of using it in reference to God would be to forgive. In other words, God gives what is necessary to repair the damage. So the one who, is, who, who did the wrong comes and tries to offer something to make atonement for it. Or the one who was wronged comes and offers forgiveness to make atonement for it, regardless of whether you made an offering or not. But then the third way of looking at it is the action or the performance of something itself or the deed or what was offered the sta- causes the stain to be cleared, and it carries with it the idea of disinfecting. Do you see this beauty? Now, I know I just gave you a bunch of word nerd stuff, but let me connect it to you with Jesus. When John uses this word in reference to Jesus, I believe he means all three in the same moment. I believe he means Jesus is the man who offered on behalf of all mankind to repair damage done. Jesus is God and offers forgiveness himself and thus repairs the damage himself. But Jesus is the one who performed the deed and he is the atonement made. Only in Jesus do you find all three ways of using this word. Only in Jesus. Jesus has cleansed. He has disinfected. He has made you no longer tainted with the stain of sin and shame. No longer do you have to carry that guilt. He now presents you faultless before his father, before his father's throne forever. And the writer of Hebrews even said it this way. He ever lives to make intercession for you. He died for you and he rose again the third day for you. If he was still on the ground, you'd be in trouble. But because he rose again and he ever lives and he ascended, he stands before the throne of his father, always interceding on our behalf. I paid for that one, Dad. I paid for that one, too. They're still covered by me. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous who is the propitiation for our sin. But not just ours. Whole world. It's dangerous ground when people start limiting the atonement of Jesus Christ. Dangerous ground when they try to say that only certain people are offered salvation. Hold the phone. But he does this with exceeding joy. So let's apply it to ourselves here. Let's unpack this a little bit. Do you see what this means for you? You know, there's no other like Jesus. Muhammad taught people how they need, what they needed to do in order to be acceptable. The Buddha taught people how they could become perfect over time. The Bahá'u'lláh from the Baha'i faith, he taught people how to join hands with one another to find peace. But there are problems with all of this. First off, you can never be fully acceptable in your efforts. You can't. 
And, and perfection, listen, perfection does not mean that your good outweighs your bad. Perfection means perfect, all good, no bad. So even if you did one thing wrong, guess what? You are not perfect. And so no matter how much good you do, you still have that wrong, that stain. You still have that problem. Only through Jesus Christ do you find the solution for your problems. Not just your past problems, but your current problems and your future problems. You're still going to struggle with sin, but beloved, he's still there working on your behalf. So what do we do with the problem of sin? How do we combat this problem of sin? <laughs> Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse 24, Oh, wretched man that I am. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from the body of this death? But he follows it up, that frustration up with this. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, what about those times when you feel that you have fallen yet again? Well, Jesus is the only way to escape punishment. But he is also the only way to gain strength to not do it again. Grace and mercy does not lower the bar, beloved. Jesus didn't come to earth and say, well, you can't make it, so I'm going to bring the bar down to where you can. That's not what he did. The bar is still set. The bar is still where it should be. And Jesus came and delivered me from the penalty of not being able to reach the bar. And then he takes his Holy Spirit and puts him in a... Have you ever played basketball with a little kid and sometimes you pick them up so that they can reach the hoop? <laughs> our advocate, our propitiation dwells within us, lifting us up, making us more than we can be on our own. He says, the bar is still set, and you can do all things through Christ, who strengthens you. And isn't that beautiful? Isn't that wonderful? He doesn't say, okay, I'll pay for your sins, the rest of it's up to you. He says, I'll pay for your sins and help you become what you should have been to begin with. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. If you're here today and you're wondering if Jesus can save you, yes, he can. If you're here today wondering if Jesus can help you be more than you are, yes, he can. If you're here today and you say, well, I, I, I was once living a Christian life, but I've strayed from it. I quit living that way. He probably doesn't want me anymore, beloved. <laughs> That's just not true. He wants you. He desires to use you. He desires to shape you more and more into his image. God does not call us to holiness. 
without equipping us and giving to us the ability. Who wouldn't follow a God like that? Everyone else tells you what you need to do and you've got to figure it out along the way. Jesus helps you do it. Jesus pays for it so that you don't have to worry about being perfect. He says, I got it covered. I've taken care of it. Just follow me. Trust me. Learn of me. Become more like me. Who wouldn't follow a God like that? I say this with love. Only a fool would turn away an offer like that. I don't think I'm looking at fools. I'm not trying to say that. What I am trying to say is let's quit looking at all the things that we think we need to do to be right and just start following the one who makes us right. Just surrender to him. If that's you this morning, that you need to lay something down at his feet, John doesn't write to give us freedom to live however we want. He writes to encourage us try if you mess up he's still there he's advocating on your behalf and try again a righteous man falls seven times gets back up so get up have you fallen christian you're wallowing get up get up our advocate jesus christ is reaching out saying come on I got you covered. I'm here with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm so glad he's holding my hand. If I was holding his, I'd probably let go. But he's holding mine. It's a beautiful thing. Gracious God and Savior. Now we come to the time, Lord, where, uh, where we take what we have learned and we make a decision to apply it to our lives. Or we choose to continue in sin and disobedience. Father, I don't know the condition of everyone here today. But I believe I've presented your truth the way you would have me to do so. And so, Father, for the one who is not saved, I, I pray today would be the day that they see your saving power that you and you alone can reconcile them and make them clean. Father, for the one who is truly born again, but perhaps they've fallen, would you remind them of your love? Would you remind them that your son not only saves, but he keeps that which he has saved? Father, for us all, will you use these truths in this book to not just aid us in having a good day, but to help us become more like your son. To aid us in not sinning. If any are here today struggling with sin, would you call them to a closer walk with you? Would you remind each one of us that you have called us to holiness? Not because we have to in order to gain your love, but because we can in order to love you in return. Father, we turn this time over to your spirit. We turn ourselves over to your spirit's leading.
trusting you with the outcome of our surrendered lives. We pray all of this for your son's glory and his honor. Amen.